is entitled, Open His Eyes, Lord, so that He may see. Open His Eyes, Lord, so that He may see. This is spoken by the great prophet Elisha. May God give us eyes to see a victorious future. May God give us eyes to see a victorious future. Lord, we pray that your blessing would be upon the word today. Pray that you'd encourage us, that you would call us to a new relationship, a renewed relationship in you. And Lord, help us to do what you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever seen the movie Kate and Leopold? One. Okay. Well, I I need to give you the premise. Uh, uh, It's a movie that's about 20 years old. And the plot is Leopold is a duke that is snatched out of 1876 to present-day New York uh, by a would-be inventor named Stuart, who was also his great-great-grandson, who finds a crack in time to travel back and forth. Of course, it's a hilarious situation. Obviously, it's a comedy. Uh, And the Duke is awed by the 21st century New York City. Automobiles, televisions, telephones, cell phones, elevators. Oh, did I mention elevators? Well, he invented that when he goes back, because he saw it in the future. Well, the not-so-successful inventor, Stuart, is many people's hero because he is a person nobody understands or appreciates. Have you ever been in that position? No one understands or appreciates you? Well, through an accident, he winds up in the hospital, and in the hospital, he starts talking about time travel, and that lands him in the psych ward. (laughs) The hospital psychiatrist incarcerates him as a lunatic. Remember, he's the only one that can get Leopold back to his own time. So out of frustration, Stuart, the inventor, begins talking to one of the nurses about his difficult plight, and she listens intently, and she is drawn into his story. With sadness and resignation, he explains his epic tale of being misunderstood. He says this, It's like being a dog that has seen a rainbow. A dog can describe to all the other dogs the beauty and the splendor of this colorful heavenly display. But the other dogs don't believe him because dogs are colorblind. They can't see rainbows, so they don't believe him. And friends, dogs aren't the only beings colorblind. Too many in our world today are blind to see what God is doing, what God wants to do in them, and what God wants to do through them. I want us to make sure we take a few moments today to think about the possibilities of what God wants to do in us and then what God wants to do through us. May God let us see what he wants to do in us and through us. Well, there's a story in the Bible about the king of Aram and the king of Israel and Elisha, the great prophet. So you got the three people here, uh, king of Aram, king of Israel, and Elisha, the prophet. Well, the king of Aram thinks one of his people is a double agent. Everywhere he sends his army to attack Israel, Israel already knows about it. 
So he says, I want to know who's telling the king of Israel my secret plans. So let's pick up the story in the Bible. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse uh, 11. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, let's say that together. But Elisha, the prophet who was in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Oh my. Go find out where he is, the king ordered. So I can send men and capture him. So the report came back that he is in Dothan. Let's say Dothan together. You don't ever get to say this out loud. Dothan. Dothan. One more time. Dothan. Okay. Keep that name, that city in mind. Well, then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Verse 15. When the servant... The man of God got up and went out early the next morning. An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. And this is one of the great comments in Scripture. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. <laughs> Let's say that out loud together. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes, uh, opened the servant's eyes, and he looked up and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. See, the king of Assyria wanted to conquer Israel. God would not let that happen. So he kept giving the prophet insight about Assyria's plans. And of course, we've already said the prophet's name is Elisha. Elisha is one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, and he is the successor to uh, Elijah. So the two of them, Elijah and Elisha, probably the two greatest prophets in in Israel's history. Well, Elisha would warn the king of Israel at each attack. So Syria's army would be routed. So Elisha has become a major pain to the king of Assyria. And when the king found out his losses were Elisha's doing, he put a price on the prophet's head. And he laid plans to capture the great man of God. The king only made one mistake, but it was a really big mistake. Elisha wasn't his enemy. God was his enemy. And the conflict was not going to be much of a contest. Now, Dothan is about 60 miles north of Jerusalem, and it's near Megiddo. And I don't know if you know about Megiddo, but in the Bible, it's also referenced as the Valley of Armageddon. And uh, one day in the future, the armies of the world, the nations of the world, will come to fight under the, the auspices of the Antichrist, and uh, the beast come to fight God, Jesus, and the army. And that's going to be the last great co- uh, conflict uh, this, this world will see. And uh, in fact, um, I have been to uh, 
the Valley of Armageddon or Megiddo. And uh, it's a beautiful place, flat land for as far as the land your eyes can see. What a great place for a war. The Bible tells us that the blood of, of men is going to flow as high as the horse's bridle. That's Dothan. That's the future. Let's get back to our story. So this is where the great prophet of God, Elisha's home, is in Dothan. Here's our first point. God's army is always with his people. God's army is always with his people. Do you think the Lord's host or army just showed up? No, they were always with Elisha. They were there day and night. God's power and ministering angels and the Holy Spirit are always with us. God is fighting our spiritual battles. And if he's not, we are in serious trouble. Now, I just want you to do some math. Lucifer was in heaven, archangel. He rebelled against God. And he convinced one-third of the angels to rebel with him. So they decided to go to war with God. There's a little joke there. <laughs> Lucifer looks at God and says, ah, he's, he's uh, omnipotent, he's all-powerful. Oh, he's omniscient, he's all-knowing. Oh, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere. I think I can take him. <laughs> and you know what? He couldn't. The war lasted about two seconds, and Lucifer, who is now Satan, and all, all the fallen angels that went with him, which are now demons, they were cast to earth. So that's one-third of the angels. So how many are left? Let's go. Let's do this, math majors. Come on. Two-thirds, yes. Remember the passage we just read? There's more of us. There's more with us than are with them. I want you to know this. God's uh, army is protecting you, friend. You, now, being from Las Vegas, this is what I say in my church. I go, do you think the demons are down on the strip? No, that crowd's already on their side. They're just on the maintenance program. No, demons have their forces arrayed at us because we're the family of God. We are serving the Lord. And I want to declare to you that God's army is always with his people. So God is fighting our spiritual battles. Thank the Lord. Our second point is this. May God open our eyes to see the true situation. God will put color in the victory rainbow. Wow. My son is 19 years of age. He graduated last year. And uh, he's working after church today. He works, he's going to go in work eight hours for double time. He said, Dad, should I work? I said, are you making double time? He said, yes. I said, yeah, you're going to work, son. <laughs> well, he has not really served the Lord like he should have. You know, the preacher's kid. Somebody said the reason the preacher's kids are so bad is they hang out with the deacon's kids. But I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> But I will tell you this, on March the 14th, he had an opening of his eyes. And since that day, 
And so what are, what are we in, March 22? I mean, May 22, thank you, I'm a senior moment here. May, May 22, let's see, from 14, 8, uh, 61 and 8, it's, it's been 69 days he's been serving God wholeheartedly, and he's alcohol-free and drug-free. Praise the Lord. Give the Lord the glory. <clears throat> and I take him to work, and I pick him up. And if for some reason I don't, which I usually do, I am on him. <laughs> Are you there? Right, let me hear the machine running. <laughs> and uh, then I pick him up and take him to dinner uh, or meet him for dinner right after work. He works 2 to 10. So I'm encouraging him in the Lord. He is uh, excited about serving God and sharing Christ with others. Why? What happened? Well, he had a crisis in his life. Listen, uh, let me open your eyes here. You don't uh, have to have a crisis in your life. But if you play hardball with God and you don't serve him, the Lord's going to create a crisis in your life. Now, those of you that are a certain age, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You've had that crisis, huh? Yeah. The crisis. And God did this, and my son sees the wisdom of uh, hanging out with dear old dad. So, in a sense, I'm privileged for a 19-year-old kid to turn to me. He could have turned and walked out but he didn't. Why? Because his eyes got open for the first time in his life. You may say, well, Pastor David, what about the future? Well, <laughs> I don't know about the future. I know today I'll be meeting him <laughs> at, at, and taking him to work, and then I'll be picking him up. Hallelujah. And I'm just going to keep encouraging him in the Lord, but he's got to make it happen. But in order for him to make it happen, God had a crisis in his life. God loves us so much, he puts crisis, or he didn't put it, he allows us to create our own crisis, but it serves as a wake-up call to open our eyes. So may God open our eyes to see the true situation that we're living in. God wants to give us a rainbow victory. So back to our story. In the pre-dawn hours, Elisha's servant gets up. It's early in the morning, he's going to do the chores. That was his job. In our mind's eye, we can see him dragging himself out to the well to draw some water. Aren't you thankful we just turn the faucet and we get water? Hallelujah. We live in a great day. <laughs> He's only half awake. He's shuffling along. But something's not right. Where are the scene of the birds? Where are the animals that are usually making their noises? So he pushes the sleep away from his eyes and he scans the local hillside and his heart stops beating. There in the morning haze, silhouetted against the rising sun, is the Syrian soldiers, a whole army of them standing ready with spears and bows locked and loaded. As it turned out, Elisha's servant Gehazi was spiritually blind, but his physical eyesight was 20-20. He scrambled back into the house Elisha, Master Elisha, wake up. The whole Syrian army's out there, and they're not happy. Elisha, wake up. They're ready for war. We're toast. 
Well, here's an interesting side issue. <laughs> the name Gehazi means Valley of Vision. <laughs> so his name actually meant the Valley of Vision. He had the name, and he had it in the physical sense, but he was spiritually blind. He was as spiritually blind as the king of Syria. Gehazi's problem was not the reality of the coming battle, but his perception of that reality. See, he served the Jewish prophet of Yahweh, God Most High. He carried the name of spiritual sight, yet he knew nothing of vision. I want to restate our first two points. God, God's army is always with his people, and may God open our eyes to see the true situation, because God will put color in the victory rainbow. Our third point is this. Our trust and confidence is in God's power and army. God's power outnumbers the enemy power. And I've already alluded to this. For every one demon that's coming against the people of God, there's two ministering angels that are fighting for us, and plus the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, God doesn't even need the angels. He could just do it all. He can speak victory into existence. Wow. Do you know that Christianity is winning the world? We are right now living in the greatest move of God in the history of the world. More people are coming to accept Christ around the world than ever before. Say, well, Pastor David, it doesn't seem like it. We have a lot of empty chairs here. Well, I think they're filled up with some angels. And, you know, um, consistency in coming to church is really important. But you're just one church (laughs) of all the churches in the world. We're at about 2.5 billion Christians in the world. We're the only major religion, religion that has on the major continents that are populous, 250 million minimum in every continent. Do you realize that you're living in the greatest time of Christianity? Open your eyes. See what God is doing. You know, the blessing of God is on America because America is sending out more missionaries and is concerned with people that are lost around the world. You take that away from America and God will judge America, I promise you. God's probably going to judge America anyway, but he's going to have to judge the rest of the world too. Let me just give you a little stat here that you might find interesting. I want you to open your eyes. Did you know that 32% of people in America are Christian and has been that way since 1950? In 1950, our population was 150 million. So about 50 million were Christian. Now our population is, I think, around 330 million. And a little over 100 million in our nation are Christian. Is that amazing? The economy of the Christians in America is, would be, if we were a country, it'd be the fifth greatest economy in the world. Everybody that's run for president since Jimmy Carter 
He ran for president in 1976, if my memory is correct. Yes, I am that old that I remember that, so don't try to say anything. Uh, Everyone that has run for president since 1976 has had to say that they are a Christian. Whether they were or not, they had to say that they were. Isn't that interesting? Friends, I want you to open your eyes. You're part of the greatest move of God the world has ever seen. You have missionaries that you're supporting out here. They're doing the work for us. You're helping pay their way. The world is being one. And just in the short history of the Assemblies of God, which is uh, almost 108 years old, uh, we've gone from 300 people in 1914 to 69 million around the world. Not bad for a group of uneducated people that uh, started uneducated and with no money. But we believed in the moving of God's power. Isn't that amazing? Well, a street preacher was uh, preaching to a crowd about Jesus. A man interrupted and shouted that he didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't believe God or hell or judgment because he'd never seen God. Have you ever had that happen to you? Somebody says, oh, I don't believe in God or Jesus or heaven or hell because I haven't seen God. Well, another man spoke up and said this, friends, you say there's a building over there and a bus stop here, a bus stop is here twice a day and that grass grows in the yard across the street. That is untrue. And you yourselves don't exist either because I've never seen you. You see, I am blind. And the more I say that you don't exist, while others plainly see, just proves I'm blind. And when people deny God, it doesn't make the reality of God less true. It just confirms that they are blind. Wow. Well, let us remember that in addition to God's power, we have this exhortation, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So we are not to fear. Our fourth point is this. God waits for the enemy to attack before he blinds them. I love this. God is even gracious to this enemy army. He waits for them to follow through with their evil plan, and then he strikes them with blindness. How does that happen? Well, let's read in verse 18. As the enemy came down toward him, uh, do we have that slide? Maybe I didn't send it. (laughs) As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And then he led him, them into Samaria. So Samaria is the capital of Israel. So they get to Samaria. Instead of getting killed, what happens to them? They're fed and released. What a story when they get back to Aram. Mass blindness hits everybody. They're led into a place that they think that they should be led And uh, then they immediately start to see again another miracle, mass restoration of sight. 
and they find out that they are in the enemy city surrounded by an army. And then instead of getting killed, the Lord says, feed these people and get them back to their families. What a story. <laughs> Fifth point today is this. Dothan is a place in the middle of nowhere, a place that God shows up and shows off to make his greatness real. Dothan is mentioned one other place in the Bible. Boy, if you can tell me where, what that other place is, uh, besides the Valley of Armageddon I've already mentioned, one other place in the Bible it's mentioned. Anybody know? Just curious. Give you extra credit. It is where Joseph was thrown into the pit before his brothers sold him into slavery. So oddly enough, Dothan is a place of victory for both Joseph and Elisha. For Elisha, Elisha we see the obvious victory, but for Joseph, what victory came from that place? Well, when Joseph was thrown into the pit, remember he's about 17 years of age, his brothers hated him because <laughs> he was the favorite son. They hated him and uh, <clears throat> they threw him into a pit. They were going to kill him and they decided to just sell him as a slave to a band of Ishmaelites going down to Egypt. Well, Joseph had been given some dreams by God that said his family would worship him. And this made him hated even more by his brothers. But God used the pit as the start and the beginning of his destiny. So trust God to turn your life into his victory. Trust God to take the difficult thing that you're going through. And God will use his power in your life to change you. Just a quick note about Joseph. He gets sold as a slave when he gets down to Egypt. He ends up in the head of uh, the secret service for the king. Uh, this guy's name is Potiphar. And he's a slave for 10 years. <clears throat> and he's such a great slave that Potiphar just turns everything over to him. And he says, you run my business affairs, you run my house. The only thing that is sacred from you is my wife. Obviously, don't touch my wife. But the wife had a problem because the Bible says that Joseph was handsome and well-built. And she began lusting after Joseph. And he kept saying no. He says, I'm not going to sin against God and have anything to do with Potiphar's wife. <clears throat> Finally, she grabs his clothes trying to, I guess, seduce him? I don't know. And so as he leaves his robe and runs out basically in his undergarments, kind of a weird situation, and then she says to her husband, he tried to rape me. For doing the right thing, what happens? He gets to go to prison. And he's there three years. <clears throat> so ten years as a slave, three years as a prisoner. Are you doing the math? <clears throat> he's now about 30. And I'm sure demons came to him and said, well, what about the dream? Isn't your family supposed to bow down for you? How are they going to bow down for you if you're a slave? How are they going to bow down for you if you're stuck in this prison? 
But God always delivers. I'm going to submit to you that uh, while he was a slave, what did he learn? The business affairs of Egypt. And when he was in prison, it turned out he was in a political prison, and he learned about politics. And then one day came where he interpreted the dream for Pharaoh, who's the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh takes him and puts him in charge of the new project of saving for food in the next seven years to prepare for the seven years of famine. He goes uh, from overnight from the prison to the palace. He's 30, and he's ready to fulfill his destiny that God had been preparing him for ever since Dothan when his brothers threw him in the pit. See, we serve a God that is unbelievable in the way he deals with us and prepares us. And then nine years later, he's 39. Trust me, I've done the math on this. We're two years into the famine now. Nine years later, he's 39, and his brothers show up wanting to buy food. And what do they do when they come before the prime minister of Egypt? They all (laughs) bow down. And they don't recognize it's Joseph. So they sell him food, and they come back later, and there's a kind of an interesting story that develops. But finally, Joseph says, hey, you guys, it's me. And they are terrified because you know what they say about payback. They are terrified. Joseph says, you know, it wasn't you that sent me down to Egypt. But it was God. Wow. Wow. And God has me in a place where I am over the whole land except for the king. And I am like a father to the king. Even though I'm sure he was younger. And God has put me here to save the lives of our family. Pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? Where the brother's eyes opened... (laughs) That revelation, oh boy. Friends, I pray that God opens your eyes to what he has for you to do. And you you may be going through a difficult time or going to go through a difficult time. It's okay. If you will serve God wholeheartedly, God is going to do a miracle in your life. And you're going to be used for eternal purposes. You know, the purpose here is not just to make a lot of money and have a nice house and maybe a boat and nice cars. All that is wonderful, and it's a blessing, and I'm not against it. I'm for it. But the real purpose is to influence people for Christ. Because we're here like less than a second. Whatever, whatever years you have here, we're here for less than a second compared to all eternity. And God wants us to get ourselves ready for eternity by serving him wholeheartedly. 
and then by leading others to him. Let's pray. God, dear God, we are so blessed to know that you show up to fight our battles. Give us eyes to see that you are always with us, your armies are with us, and you keep us safe and secure. And if we go through a Joseph experience, give us strength to believe that you, to believe you for the outcome that is long-term and that we would see your victory rainbow in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.